Hello everybody, this is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. In this audio, I'm going to cover 1 Corinthians 10, chapter 10, verses 23 through 33. I'm going to entitle this section, Everything Everything That's Permissible Is Not Helpful. Paul returns to his theme of eating idle meat and looking after the weak brothers, whose consciences might be too scrupulous about eating idle meat. He's mentioned all this in chapter 8, of course. He's going to pick up again here at the end of chapter 10. Now, our context is this. In the preceding 10 or so verses, Paul has said, don't eat idle meat in a temple sacrifice. Don't do it. But there he was saying, don't do it because you would be participating in a table of demons and drinking the cup of demons. Well, there he was talking about doing not doing something that is absolutely immoral at all times. But now he returns to his theme of eating idle meat in situations where it would not be immoral. Now let's review those before we start. You could be eating idle meat bought at the meat market in your own house. You could be, that's first possibility. The second place you could be eating idle meat would be at a friend's house who had bought idle meat at the market. The third possibility, you could be in the temple building at a non-sacrificial event. For example, a guild meeting or a family reunion or a banquet or something like that. And you're just using the building and you buy the meat at the meat market. And it's probably before been sacrificed to idols. Now, Paul's going to say in those three circumstances, it's perfectly all right to eat the meat. And he's going to say this in these next few verses that we're going to look at. Nothing wrong with eating the meat unless it causes your brother to stumble, then you don't do it. Now, we'll start in verse 23 and 24. Paul says, everything is permissible, but not everything is helpful. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one should seek his own good, but the good of the other person. The Homer Christian Study Bible puts quotation marks around everything is permissible. Twice in these two verses, that phrase is used, everything is permissible. Paul is probably, according to the Holman Christian Study Bible, quoting the letter that the Corinthians had sent to him to which he's responding, as we've pointed out over and over again. So Paul's saying, yeah, I grant you, I concede to you everything's permissible, but however, folks, not everything is helpful. Let's read some related scriptures. 1 Corinthians 8.1, about food offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge inflates with pride, but love builds up. Paul's saying, yeah, we know that idol meat is perfectly all right to eat. We know that. But you can get puffed up and prideful about it if you insist on eating it when you know that it causes other brothers' consciences to be stricken. Galatians 6.2, Paul says this, Carry one another's burdens, and this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Carry that weak brother's brother burdens. If he can't stand watching you eat idle meat, then don't do it. Now, when Paul says everything is permissible, he's, of course, referring to all sorts of food. Eating all sorts of food is permissible. Idle meat food and non-idle meat food. He, of course, is not referring to every possible act. Rape, genocide, slaughter, homosexuality, all that kind of stuff. No, uh uh-uh. He's not talking about that. In verse 24, Paul says, no one should seek his own good. Here's several scriptures that reinforce that sentiment, that you shouldn't seek your own good. 1 Corinthians 10.33, at the end of our section here that we're going to get to in just a minute. Just as I also try to please all people in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, so that they may be saved. 1 Corinthians 13.5, love does not act improperly, is not selfish. Romans 15.1-2, now we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. Each one of us must Please his neighbor. 
for his good to build him up. Selfishness is utterly antithetical to the kingdom of God and to the ethic of Jesus. How many? I remember in China many times, I was having a good time in China doing a lot of stuff. There's a lot of bad stuff too. And I remember saying, it ain't about me. I have to keep reminding myself, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's about the people I'm trying to help. That's who matters. And that is the secret to a happy life, folks, is helping other people. Nothing. It is more blessed to give than receive, Jesus said, as in Acts 20. We go to 1 Corinthians 10, 25 through 26. Paul continues, eat everything that is sold in the, eat, in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience's sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. Now when Paul says eat everything that is sold in the meat market, he means eat meat that has been sacrificed to idols and then sold to the meat market. NIV Study Bible points out that by leaving the idol feast, the meat had lost its former idolatrous significance. And so therefore, there's nothing wrong with eating it. Why would there be leftover meat from an idol sacrifice? Well, some heathen might felt might have felt it was unlawful to eat leftover meat at an idol uh, temple sacrifice, and so the temple then was forced to sell it to the meat market because there was not enough demand for it. But it just basically means that there was more meat at the idol feast than there was than the people could eat. And so they would sell it to the meat market. There was a Southern Baptist professor whose name I forgot, and I read his article. He said that almost certainly almost all of the meat in a meat market back then was formerly sacrificed to idols. Not just So it was not just a possibility that if you bought meat from a meat market, it was a probability. Adam Clark says this, It was customary to bring the flesh of the animal to market, the blood of which had been poured out and sacrificed to an idol. Or taken more particularly, the case was this, one part of the sacrifice was consumed on the altar of the idol, a second part was dressed and eaten by the sacrificer, and a third belonged to the priest and often sold in the shambles. I think shambles means meat market. This is typical way sacrifice is done, including Leviticus, the legitimate sacrifice. So Paul says, eat it. Why? For the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. Well, everything that's in the earth includes meat. And so that means the meat belongs to God. So eat the meat. No problem. By the way, if you feel like it's a sin to eat meat because you are a super vegetarian, I don't mean just a optional vegetarian because you don't like to eat meat. There's nothing wrong with that, of course. But if you say that it's a sin to eat meat, you haven't read your Bible. Because Paul says the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. That means I can eat a steak and enjoy it. So don't try to rain on my parade. Unless, of course, I call somebody to stumble, in which case I won't eat the steak. I'll wait till they leave. I'll smile and then I'll break it out, put it on the grill, put six spices on it and enjoy the heavenly taste of a steak. Now this Verse 26, for the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it is a direct quotation from Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants belong to the Lord. Same idea, Psalm 50:12. if I were hungry, I would not tell you, God says, for the world and everything in it is mine. As if God would, could be hungry. He's not going to get hungry. He, he could just sacrifice one of his cattle on a thousand hills and eat, eat, eat a steak, if I can say that reverently and metaphorically. Psalm 89:11 The heavens are yours the earth also is yours talking about God's the world and everything in it you founded them all right so if meat was made by God you can eat it and then he says don't ask any questions now he's talking about if you're at somebody's house and you are fed meat and you say oh was this meat asked sacrificed to idols if it is I don't want to eat it I might cause somebody to stumble no don't go provoking a controversy when there is no controversy just eat it now, this asking questions idea is kind of interesting. Here's a good quote from Adam Clark. 
The Jews were vexed with innumerable scruples in their feast as to the eating of the thing, as well as to the company with which they ate, and even the manner of their eating, of fruits and herbs brought to the table. They were to inquire whether they were tithed according to custom, whether they, whether they were consecrated by the truma, whatever that is, or whether they were profane, whether they were clean or touched with some pollution, etc., and concerning flesh set on the table, they were to inquire whether it was of that which had been offered to idols, whether it were the flesh of an animal that had been torn by wild beasts, or of that which had been strangled or not killed according to the canons, etc., 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 etc. The Jews were driving themselves crazy. They couldn't even enjoy a meal because they worried about all these laws that might have been broken and Paul who of course was a Hebrew of Hebrews well familiar with the Jews he said don't do that just eat the food Gentiles of course would not be as scrupulous as Adam Clark says that Paul has Jews in mind here when he says when he says eat what's set before you and implicitly he means eat it without being scrupulous about it don't ask questions about it because the Jews would be asking questions and of course the reason Paul doesn't want questions to be asked is because a scruple might be raised, as Jameson Fawcett and Brown says, either in your own conscience, oh, I'm weak, I just asked about idle meat, or I could be raising a scruple in a weaker brother's conscience who happens to be present. So don't do that. Romans 14, 14, Paul says this, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Still, to someone who considers a thing to be unclean, to that one it is unclean. In other words, there ain't nothing wrong with idle meat, but if you think it's wrong, well, then to that person with the weak conscience, it is wrong. Well, just don't, just don't eat questions to start with and don't get into that. Just enjoy your meal. We go to verse 27, 1 Corinthians 10. If one of the unbelievers invites you over and you want to go, eat everything that is set before you without raising questions of conscience. In other words, go easy. Take it easy. Eating at a pagan friend's house is not the same thing as eating at a pagan temple. As we've said it, seen in our last audio, in the last several verses in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul said eating at a, a pagan idol feast is eating at the table of demons and drinking the cup of demons, and I don't want you to do that. But this is different. This is eating at a friend's house with possible idol meat. We go to verse 28, 1 Corinthians 10, but if someone says to you, this is food offered to an idol, do not eat it out of consideration for the one who told you and for conscience's sake. Now, apparently the only reason that somebody would tell you that the food was offered to idols is because they're trying to warn you or they're objecting to it. There's a problem here. Now, if it was just happened in, I guess it could happen in casual conversation. Where'd you get the meat? Oh, I went down to the meat market. Where'd the meat market guy get it? Well, he bought it from such and such a temple. I mean, it could come out in casual conversation, but it sounds here like somebody is trying to warn you, warn the 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 brother at the friend's house this is food offered to an idol so don't you better not eat it if you do you're going to make me angry or you're going to make me troubled about your christianity well that's a different situation if somebody you don't bring it up but if somebody else brings it up do not eat it out of consideration for the one who told you see the one who told you is obviously the one with a weak conference conscience who's scrupulous he's a weak christian that's why he's telling you now there's an NIV note here that says that some manuscripts add at the end of the verse, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Do not eat it. Dot, 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 dot. For the earth is the Lord's and everything's in it. And what the, if that is in the original text, the way you would explain it would be this. There are plenty of things in the world to eat. So it isn't necessary that you eat food to idols. It won't kill you to have to refrain from eating idols. So let me say that again. Do not eat it. 
If someone says to you, this is food offered to an idol, do not eat it. Why? Because the earth is the Lord's and everything's in it, and there's plenty in it for you to eat, so you, you can get by without eating that idol meat. Paul also says in verse 28 here that you should not eat it for conscience's sake. Well, there's a question here. Is it the conscience of the one offering the food to the Christian? Or I should say the one who has raised the objection, that person? Or is it for the, the believer who's at the meal trying to decide whether to eat the meat or not? Is it his conscience's sake? Well, if the person that is offering the food to Paul or who is or to the to the believer or is is objecting to the food possibly being idol meat, if that's whose conscience is being bothered, then that would be a weak Christian, and I think that's probably what it is. Paul says this in First Corinthians eight ten through twelve, where he first broached the subject. For if someone sees you, the one who has this knowledge, knowing that idol meat is there, that there are no idols and idol meat's fine. If someone sees you dining in an idol's temple, won't his weak conscience be encouraged to eat food offered to idols? Then the weak person, the brother for whom Christ died, is ruined by your knowledge. Now, when you sin like this against the brothers and wound their weak conscience, you are sinning against Christ. Okay, that's probably what it means for conscience sake, for the conscience of the one, for the weak Christian who raised the objection that the food might be idle meat, don't eat it for their conscience's sake. Now, it could be that the person who raised the objection would be a pagan. And he would think that if you eat that idol meat, he would think that, oh, you worship the pagan gods as well as I do. And you worship the pagan gods as well as Yahweh. Well, now that's bad too, so you wouldn't eat it in that case either, if that's whose conscience might be offended. John Gill says, quote, if this person is an infidel, he will be hardened in his impiety, impiety and be furnished with an opportunity of reproaching the Christians as variable, insincere, and unfaithful in their religion. Now there's another possible, possible, Option as to whose conscience could be bothered, it could be your conscience by eating the meat. Logical, but not what Paul means, because the very next verse precludes that option. It's not his conscience that's the problem, it's the weak brothers or the or the un, non-understanding pagans' conscience that would be bothered by you eating that idle meat when the objection has been raised that the idle meat had been sold in the meat market. How do we know that it's not the eater's conscience that Paul is talking about here, 1 Corinthians 10, 29, Paul says, I do not mean your own conscience, but the other person's. For why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? Now, this verse is a good balance. Paul spends most of his time trying to protect weak Christians from stumbling. However, he also has a verse here where, in my opinion, he is also warning the weak Christian not to start judging the strong Christian and screwing up his conscience and trying to make him feel guilty when he doesn't need to. Now, that's not a slam-dunk interpretation. There's another way of interpreting that, but that, I think, is the, the easiest way to interpret it. Well, let's look at the options as to what Paul means here when he says, why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? I'm going to call them option A and option B. Well, option A, Paul is saying, don't let my free eating have the opportunity to be judged by the other's conscience because that would wound the conscience of the other person. In other words, option A, why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? It's not going to be, because I'm not going to let it be. I'm not going to eat. Well, that's John Gill's take on that verse. And if that were true, then Paul would be continue, continuing with his theme is we've got to protect the weak bro brother. We, we, Paul is saying, I'm not going to let my freedom be judged by another person's conscience by eating that meat. I am free, but I'm not going to let judgment to come from the weak brother because that would cause him to stumble. I don't think that Gill is right here. I think that Adam Clark is right. Option B, when Paul says, why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? He is saying, according to Adam Clark, that 
Paul has the freedom to eat idol meat privately without his conscience being hurt. And so nobody can condemn him for eating idol meat because he knows that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And that the idols are nothing. It is perfect. And he's not at an idol feast. He's eating meat at home. You know, who's, who's going to judge his conscience? You can't. I think that's exactly what it means. Now, there is a problem with that is if he's eating privately at home, who's going to judge? Well, how about this? What if he's eating at a friend's house? There's nobody there to object, no weak Christians. But then in casual conversation, somebody mentions that you're at a friend's house eating what is probably idle meat, and the word gets out, and you, by accident, cause him to stumble. Well, in that case, Paul is saying, hey, don't let, don't, don't let your, the person's freedom to eat idle meat be judged by somebody else's conscience who wasn't there. I know how this verse really helped me out a lot. I used to, I've had a lot of trouble with these eight chapters, eight, nine, and ten, to be honest with you. I don't think they're the easiest to interpret. For one reason, we don't know the background, the idle meat situations, and eating privately in homes and all that. But once you get that straight, it, it becomes a lot easier. But at a time when I didn't really understand all this, and I would think, well, I can't let my brother stumble. Well, what about the people at Bob Jones University? They're three hours from me here in South Carolina, and they got scruples about everything. I mean, my gosh, their scruples have scruples. They are the crown, or they have been. I think they've loosened up recently, but typically they have been the crown, the jewel in the fundamentalist crown. And they certainly don't allow drinking wine, for example, just to take an example. So... I would say, well, I guess I can't drink wine. might get somebody at Bob Jones upset. And then pretty soon I can't do a lot of things. I can't go swimming. I had a swimming pool at the time. Can't go swimming in the pool. Well, mixed bathing is what they called it. Can't go swimming with the opposite sex in the pool. Well, that's kind of, what am I going to do? Have two pools, one for men and one for women? So I kept thinking of these situations in which I would cause Bob Jones people to stumble. And then one day it occurred to me, uh-uh, it's people in my presence, either at that private meal or in my church or people that know me. If they are, if they get upset by something I do, well, then by golly, don't do it. I mean, in my church right now, there's a, a guy who's very educated, very smart guy, and he was talking about minced oaths one time at a theology meeting, night meeting we were having, and he was saying that darn is not, we shouldn't say darn. And I remember thinking to myself, damn, we can't say darn. Oops, I shouldn't say that either. You know, it's so... Do you think I, I say darn around this guy? Not if I can help it. Now, I might slip. You know, it's hard to change your speaking habits, but I don't do it on purpose. But that weak brother in that area has no right to, to condemn me if I say golly gee or gosh or, some, you know, a minced oath type of thing. Those questions get, get kind of ticklish because the impact of words changes as time goes on. So what might be bad in one ear might be okay in the next ear and so forth. But anyway, don't. When your freedom is not supposed to be judged by another person's conscience, the only time that you are not allowed to do something that's perfectly okay to do is when you might cause your brother to stumble. We go to 1 Corinthians 10.30. If I partake with thanks, why am I slandered because of something I give thanks for? Now, Paul might be speaking hypothetically because if the weak brother doesn't even know you're eating the idol meat, how's he going to slander you? That is a problem, but I think he's talking about hypothetically. Why, why would somebody... Why would somebody hypothetically run me down because of something I'm giving thanks for? And also your own conscience. You know, why should you let your conscience bother you about eating meat when it's perfectly okay, whether it was sacrificed to idols or not? As Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.4, For everything created by God is good, and nothing should be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Of course, that's talking about everything good 
all sorts of food and such. We go to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do everything for God's glory. This is a general principle which should guide Christians through any difficult case example that the Christian might run into. There's a lot of them. I remember one time in a varsity Christian fellowship meeting before they kicked us out for being charismatic. Very tolerant situation. This guy was talking about how in Germany, he would go to Germany and they get all upset about drinking coffee, but they drank beer all the time. Well, that's a cultural thing. Well, in the and then he was talking about in the South that it was wrong to drink beer, but it was perfectly all right to drink coffee. And how some some of these things are just cultural, and you just gotta you've got to stop offending somebody culture. That, that's just basically a cross cultural problem. I lived in China for 23 years. Yeah, there's cross cultural things you got to watch out for. And if something caused you to stumble, even though it's perfectly all right, it's perfectly all right for me to stick chopsticks in a V formation in my rice. Perfectly okay. Nothing immoral about that. But by golly, it's going to cause Chinese people to get offended because I've just told the person sitting across from me, I wish you were dead. Well, you know, you just have to watch out for that. That same university man, then after he was talking about how we need to be so tolerant, then he starts making fun of white Southerners. He, he started saying in a, in a pronounced Southern accent, you ought not to do that or something. I forgot what he was griping about. But I remember being totally offended by it. I said, well, that's great. You run down my culture while you just finish sticking up for the German culture because they drink beer. What kind of a hypocrite are you? He caused me to stumble. Whatever you do, do it for God's glory. That sentiment is also expressed by Paul in Galatians 3, Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do in word or in deed. 1 Peter 4.11, Peter says this, If anyone speaks, it should be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, it should be from the strength God's provides. God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. Whatever you do, whether it's speaking or whether it's serving. 1 Corinthians 10.32-33, Paul continues, Give no offense to the Jews or the Greeks or the church of God. Just as I also try to please all people in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, so that they may be saved. Now, we're going to put 1 Corinthians 11, 1, the next chapter, because it, the next phrase really belongs here. The next verse in chapter 11 says this, Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. So what he's saying is, when he says imitate me as I imitate Christ, is do everything for other people, not for your own profit. Isn't that what Jesus did? He didn't have to die on a cross for you and me, but he did everything for other people, not himself. Paul did the same thing. Give no offense by eating idle meat when people object. Let's hammer that home again with some quotations from Paul. 1 Corinthians 8.13 Therefore, if food causes my brother to fail, I will never again eat meat, so that I won't cause my brother to fail. To fall, excuse me. Therefore, if food causes my brother to fall, I will never again eat meat, so that I won't cause my brother to fall. That is much more important to Paul than eating meat, Romans 14, 13. Therefore, let, let us no longer criticize one another. Instead, decide never to put a stumbling block or pitfall in your brother's way, 1 Corinthians 6, 3. We give no opportunity for stumbling to anyone so that the minister will not be blamed. And then Paul says, imitate me in doing that. Do the same thing that I'm doing. Now, Paul says he wants to please all people in all things. Now, first of all, let's make this what should be an obvious point, Paul is not trying to say to water down the gospel, to make people happy so they don't, so that the gospel will not be a stumbling block and an offense. 
In other words, well, we can't talk about sin, can't talk about hell. We got to talk about well, we need to build them a basketball court so that when they come to church, they won't feel triggered. They'll feel safe and they can have a good time. You know, you sinner-friendly churches or seeker-friendly churches or whatever the heck they call them. No, you're not trying to please all people and all things that way. You're trying to please people, all people and all things in the area of adiaphora, doubtful things, things that don't matter, cultural things, what you eat, not moral things, not theological things, not doctrinal things. The gospel is always going to be a scandal and a stumbling block to people who are sunk in their sins. It always has been and it always will be. But we got to preach it anyway. We don't water it down to please people and all things in that matter. But when it comes to non-essential things, don't make people mad about it because that hinders the gospel and makes people not want to come to the gospel. If I'd have heard that university staff member making fun of my culture and I wasn't a Christian, I mean, I might have said, well, you know, the heck with this. I think I'll be a Buddhist. You don't know. Paul is trying to say that people might be saved. First, he says, give no offense to the Jews or the Greeks. That's probably non-saved people of the church of God. That's to save people. In other words, it doesn't matter whether it's in the church or out of the church. You don't want to cause people to stumble. If, if you're talking about out of the church, people that you don't want to stumble, the reason you don't is because that they may be saved. Remember, that's Paul's overarching. That's his prime directive is we want to get people saved. And if you cause people to stumble so they don't want to come to Jesus, well, then what are you doing? He says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 9:19. Although I am a free man and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. If I see that delicious steak sitting in front of me and somebody's upset because it was offered to an idol, I don't eat the steak. Well, it pains me to say that, but and you know that's what you got to do. Romans 15:2. Each one of them, each one of us must please his neighbor for his good to build him up. 1 Corinthians 9.22, to the weak I became weak in order to win the weak. I become all things to all people so that I may by every possible means save some. So, Paul's not weak. He knows idle meat is perfectly all right to weak eat. But then when a weak Christian thinks it's wrong to eat it, he becomes weak. And he says, oh, I can't eat that idle meat. I'm with you there, brother. Ladies and gentlemen, we have finished 1 Corinthians 10. In our next audio, we will cover 1 Corinthians 11, 1 through 16 and that audio will cover the very, very difficult issue of woman's head covering. And I regret to inform you that I am prepared to answer your objections to whatever interpretation that I might take on this controversial passage. So I hope you stay tuned for that audio, and I hope you enjoyed this one.